What's up, Tom? Man, good to see you. You just back visiting? No, we're moving. Move back. All right. Hey, if you guys want to grab a seat. I know that not, uh, if you can hear my voice here in the foyer, come in and join us. I know it's not everyone's favorite part this morning, saying, saying hi to each other and going across the aisle and shaking hands is hard work. I know for some, but that's my favorite part of the morning. Um, most of you know, 95% of the room knows that I'm an extrovert and I love shaking hands and talking to people in the morning. But, um, so, so I'm glad that you were able to do that. Um, just to give you a little bit of intro, if I don't know you, um, I'd love to meet you today. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors um, at Legacy Church overall, um, but I actually lead the, the, the church plant that's out in West Knoxville. It meets at Hardin Valley at D1, and so they're over there right now uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus and singing and praying and doing all those things. You guys sent us out uh, back in October of 2017, and so again, I was here just about a month ago, gave you an update. Things are still progressing and going well. Uh, by the end of the month, we should have 41 uh, committed adults, 41 people that call us home, um, which is an amazing, an amazing thing. God's been really, really good to us. And so we left here with 13 adults, so that's just what he's done over the past 22, 20, 21 months. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be here. Obviously, Luke, uh, your lead pastor, is on sabbatical. It has been for a couple months. So he comes back at the end of August. I think the first week in September is his first week back. And so I know he misses all of you. He misses this place, but he's doing well. I've texted with him a couple times, and he's doing, he's doing awesome, enjoying some rest and some needed, needed time away. So um, be, be praying for him. Continue to pray for him as he finishes that up. But but I was, I was asked to come speak to y'all. I get the privilege and honor of speaking to you three times over this sabbatical. So I'm going to be here this week and next week as well. And so what I did with my time, I know y'all are in the best or my best sermon um, or best sermon ever. Like, like I told you last time, we're only shooting for about 33% this morning, okay, because I get three of these, right? So not all of these hopefully will be my best sermon. But what I did is I took a little mini series where we're going to talk about some underlying emotions, so the first time I was here back in a month ago, we spoke on guilt. We talked about guilt. So we're going to be in Genesis 3. So go ahead and turn there. Last, last time, like I said, we talked about guilt and guilt as a disease, right? And how guilt can eat us from the inside out, okay? So, so what I want to do this morning is, is talk about shame, all right? We're going to talk about shame as an underlying emotion. And what I like to, what, what, I, what I typically look at shame like when I talk to, talk to people and, and, and preach the gospel to myself, shame operates a little bit like a train. So I'm going to show you the shame train this morning, okay, right? Y'all know what I mean, right? Y'all have ever seen them put together a train, right? You have the engine up front. Sometimes you got two or three of those because they need a little bit of momentum to pull those boxcars, right? But they begin to add on boxcars, right? And they add them and they add them and they add them. And I think with shame, when it comes to shame, we just add and add and add. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all feel me, right? You just add that stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully explain the differences this morning because, because we get guilt and shame blurred, right? Can, can, I mean, honestly, like I have a hard time distinguishing between guilt and shame, amen? Like it sometimes 
feels and looks and acts and, and, and it affects me similar, but they're different. Okay, so, so I'm not saying that one can't go without the other or vice versa. I'm just saying that they, that, they, that they eerily feel the same. And so I want to dig in this morning and talk about it. I am also only preaching out of one verse this morning for a reason, okay? So don't think that I'm doing something heretical. I'm just going off of one verse, and it's going to be Genesis 3, 7. So turn there. We're going to read Genesis 3, 7 together. This is God. Right, coming into the garden, we talked about last week how they how they how they blamed each other, how they pointed to one another, pointed to the serpent, and then he says in verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Right, so made themselves loincloths. So we just read about innocence. Right, the, the garden was innocent. There was no sin. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no fear. Right until the serpent comes in, they eat of the fruit, and now we got these things, these underlying emotions of guilt, fear, and shame rising up. Right, so we just read in verse seven about innocence giving way to guilt. Right, but then honor giving way to shame. So remember that we we struggle, we can we confuse guilt and shame, and we we struggle to see them independent of one another. But but I can feel shame without feeling guilty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can feel ashamed without feeling guilty, or I can feel guilty without regret or feeling ashamed at all. And it's easy to get them blurred due to the fact that guilt carries a burden of keeping some type of moral code. Y'all feel me? That's, that's guilt. When, you, when there's a moral code broken, that's when the emotion and the underlying emotion of guilt, like, like I should not have done that, right? That's guilt. Anybody in here ever said that or felt that? Like, like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Right? That's guilt coming on, right? But the difference is shame speaks to how we see ourselves. Right? Shame, not how we're feeling, but how we, how we see ourselves, how others see us. So that changes. I do something and it changes the way they see me. That's shame. Can you see the differences? Guilt is carrying that, that emotion of, of brokenness, like I, like I sinned or I've done something I should not have done, but shame is like, I don't want them to see me like this. I, I don't need to see, I don't want them to see me like this. I have to cover, right? I have to change something, right? God blessed me this morning with a big old pimple on my forehead. Own it, right? Don't think that this morning in the bathroom I wasn't like, what do, what do girls wear to cover stuff up like this? I mean, I live in a house with three girls, right? So my, I got an 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, and, and I'm married to a 25-year-old, in case she's listening, right? So look, not really, but, <laughs> but what I'm saying is I was walking around the house. Is it concealer, ladies? Is that what I'm looking for? What is it? Okay, yes. So I'm walking around the house going, where is that stuff? I know, right, there's something in here. I'm literally worried about that. I'm trying to cover up. Right? I'm trying to, trying to, I'm worrying about what you'll think. When we're having conversations with this morning, I'm worried whether or not you're staring at it. You follow me? I mean, it seems, it seems silly, but we do that, right? Like, I've got a closet full of t-shirts that are stretched out right here because I'm constantly trying to protect you from seeing a little bit of poundage I carry, right? I'm, I'm constantly doing this because I want to cover. I want to hide, right? I don't, want, I don't want you to see this. And it's because we all have an idea of our true self, right? Our ideal self, the self that we want everyone to see. 
We don't want them to see the dark corners of the heart. We don't want them to see us yelling at our kids. We don't want, to see, we don't want them to see us fighting with our spouses, right? We carry that with us. We want this ideal version of ourselves to be shown. We want a version, we want a version we want others to see, right? And, and to be specific, here's examples, right? Just to be straight up specific. Like, if you think you're a hard worker, but you're lazy and undisciplined, you'll feel ashamed, right? Like, I think, truly, I think I'm a hard worker, but yet, but yet I've got no disciplines in my life, and I'm super lazy, right? I'm ashamed of that. I struggle with, I struggle with disciplines. I struggle with, with spiritual disciplines in specific, right? And so I don't want you to know that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to show up to comm group and DNA group, and man, I could pull from my Sunday school theology, right? When I was growing up, I felt bored theology. I could pull from that, right? Because Jesus died on the cross, amen? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I can, get a, I can ride that train for a while, right? If you try to help others, but you never seem to do enough. Any helpers in here? Anybody love to serve? But you serve, out of a, you serve out of a heart of you just don't do enough. Like, I just can't do enough. I can't sign up for enough things. And you that are married, your spouses are like, you're signed up for enough, right? You do too much. If you, if you wrestle with what others think of you to the point of blocking your true self, wearing mask all the time. Let me tell you, anybody, anybody in here wear mask? And I'm not talking about Halloween mask. Right? I'm talking about fake it till you make it mask. Right? Feel free to raise your hand. We're all friends here. Right? Isn't it exhausting? It's exhausting, right? Trying to, trying to promote what you consider your ideal self to others, do you not find that exhausting? If you agree, you can say amen. That's how I force you to talk. Helps me. Right? How about, how about those in here that want to be original? Anybody in here want to not look like the person sitting next to you? You want to be unique? You want to be, you want to be different? You don't just want to fall in line with the rest of the herd, but it's just too exhausting, right? It's just too exhausting. And here's in general. This is, this is just in general, right? People will feel shame for all sorts of reasons. So just speaking in general terms, Maybe people feel ashamed for being poor. Have you ever thought about that? Like, y'all have seen it, right? You bumped into people that, that have less than most, and they feel a little bit of ashamed, right? We did laundromat ministry across the street for like seven years. And every Friday morning at 9 a.m., we take coffee and quarters in there, and, and I would bump into people all the time that were ashamed to take $5 and quarters to help them do their laundry, Right, because they didn't have enough. It's a real thing, right? How about people being ashamed of where they live? Right, where, 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 they, where they live, and I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about shanties. I'm talking about 2,800 square foot houses, right? I'm talking about homes that you purchase with your, with your hard-earned money. People struggle with where they live, what car they drive. Anybody in here purchase a car and think, oh, what are they going to say about me with this badge, right? You want to explain the backstory? 
Hey, wait, wait, wait. Look, look, look. I know it's a BMW, but hold on. Wait a minute. Like I found it in a garage, and it was like it was like thousand dollars, right? But it runs great. You find yourself making excuses, right? My zip code is three seven nine three two. Uh oh. He lives in Hard Valley, in West Knox. Like I find myself explaining why I live in there. Y'all with me? What about the clothes we wear? Right? Schools our kids go to, to, go to, schools that we go to. How about where you're from? Like your hometown. Right? Like you're ashamed of where you're, where you're from and where you've been. Here's the deal. None of those things I just said break any moral laws. Right? None of those things break any moral laws, but you still feel them as if they broke. Right? That's shame. That's not guilt. That's shame. So what happens is, dealing with shame, our heroes, right, our heroes become things people see and how they affect how they see us. Does that make sense? We start to spend a little bit too much time falling in love with the things that, that make people judge us or have feelings or question who we are. So our hero meter is broken. We see and we have the wrong heroes. Not one person in here would tell someone that they, that they should be ashamed of being poor, right? Like, no one in here would ever say that, right? You're not going to walk up to a homeless person and be like, you know what, you should really be ashamed of yourself. How crazy does that sound, right? You're not ever going to say that. You're never going to say that. But I bet we've shamed a couple or two people in our day for having more than they need, right? I've been guilty of that. You see where I'm going with this? Our heroes are wrong. You shouldn't be ashamed about where you live. You shouldn't be ashamed about the things that you have, right? Even if it's an HOA where everyone's grass is the same shade of green and at the same level and same height, right? We shouldn't be ashamed of those things. But these things pain us, don't they? They weigh us down. Like we all walked in here this morning with something that we're ashamed of. Amen? There's not one single person in here that's not feeling shame right now. Now, you might feel it less than the person sitting next to you, but I'm just trying to bring you into that reality. There's, there's no one in here that's not feeling or walking with the pain of shame. Shame is real. You believe me? Right? Have you ever met? Have you ever met an addict? Have you ever met someone that's had an abortion? Have you ever met someone that doesn't have enough? Right? Have you, ever, have you ever met someone that's just trying to figure out and get their life right? It hurts. It's real. We feel unloved. Anybody in here feel in love this morning? It's okay. You can be vulnerable and honest. I feel it. We feel unnoticed. Right? Like I'm just a ghost. We feel, we feel unworthy. That's probably the biggest one. That's the shame I carry the most. I feel unworthy sometimes. Like, 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 you want me to pastor this church? Are you kidding? Jesus, what? Like, really? Me? No way. Right? I, feel, I feel dirty. Right? I feel less than. Anybody in here feel less than? Like, you just don't measure up? Listen, that's not guilt. That's shame. 
it festers. Right? When you're ashamed, it festers. It begins to, it begins to grow. Right? You start turning inside out. Some of, us, some of us respond differently to shame. Like the outward experience that we, that others experience is different. But the biggest thing is the shame literally turns into self-hate. Like you begin hating yourself. Right? You feel unloved. You feel unworthy. You feel unnoticed. And you begin to say, well, something, it's something about me. Like I'm doing something. I, I, start, to, I start to hate myself. Like, like you just don't like yourself. I'm asking hard questions this morning. Is that anybody in here? Like, you just don't like where you're at. Job. Your kids. Money. I talk about the same things every week. I always tell them, I just wrap it differently, right? Your money, your job, your home, your spouse, your kids, whatever it is. Like, like you aren't satisfied with who you are or who you've become. Literally. I just met with someone last week that I'm, that I'm trying to get to know, and, and, and he became a nurse only because grandma and grandpa was paying for the schooling, but they hate it. How long do you think that's going to last? Right? But they're getting it done. You follow me? We just don't like who we are. Any ladies in here hate their bodies? Struggle with body image? Ladies? Because culture has told you you're not pretty enough, right? You're not skinny enough. You're not beautiful enough. Any men in here, their feet, your feet hit the floor in the morning and you automatically feel like a failure, like you wake up tired. You know what I'm saying? Guys, girls even, any students feel like a, like a big pile of garbage because you should know by now what you should be doing with your life? And you don't? Y'all feel me? You with me? These thoughts, these thoughts that we have, this, this departure, right? This departing from our true identity in Christ, right, leads you to, this is where it gets dark. This is where we, this is where we take the roller coaster ride and we turn dark, right? Because this is what we do. When we start, when we start living in this, in this thought, this thought process, this evil just, just tormenting of ourselves when we begin to hate ourselves, right? Our, and, our, and our true identity is lost. We, we, we begin to get led towards allowing others to abuse us, right? We begin to shut down and we allow people to, to treat us badly. We allow people to, to take advantage of us because we're not worthy. So we let, that, we let that come in, right? We stop taking care of ourselves. Like we literally stop taking care of ourselves. Me and my wife had this conversation last night. I was, I, we were eating dinner, and I said, you know, babe, listen, here's the deal. Like, we're working out now, all this stuff. We're going three days a week, and I'm like, I, I'm literally ashamed of the way I look, and I've let, my, I've let myself go, right, okay? But here's the funny thing. I won't change the way I eat because it hasn't scared me enough to do that. Right? Like my diet hasn't, hasn't brought me to fear, to, to, to fear my own health. Right? I'm simply doing it because I don't want you to see me like this. You follow me? Like the heart is totally different. She told me that last night. I was like, I thought I, was, I, thought I, had, a, I, thought I had it under control. I thought I had my hands around it. She's like, so what you're saying is, is the only reason you're working out is because you're, you're worried about what other people think about you. And I'm like, oh, 
Whoops. Yes. She's like, so it's not about how long you're going to live. It's not about those things, right? It was weird for me. I was like, wait a minute. So in the middle of all this, we start looking at rabbit trail, but when we start looking, we, we begin to turn on others, right? We begin, to, we begin to lash out. Anybody in here lash out? Self-hate. You don't like what people see. You want them to see something else, and it, it just it makes you so mad. You lash out. How about, my, how about my quieters in here? Anybody go silent? Anybody go, anybody go quiet? I see some smiles. Y'all don't want to raise your hand. Y'all know what I'm talking about, though. Just go get my feelings. I'll just sit over here for a little bit. Right? We retreat. People, people walking in this kind of shame, right? Those of you that are on the recipient ends of this, Right, spouses and friends and neighbors and coworkers. When you're on the recipient end of this, people in this kind of shame will tear you down and tear you to pieces. Anybody experience this? Like I can tear some folks down, like quickly. Like in my mind, sometimes I have some crazy awkward conversations, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, I could go there, but I'm, I, you know, I can fight it. Jesus, help me, right? Need the Holy Ghost here in a minute just to keep this everything down. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They're lashing out at you. They're going off on you, right? They will, they will make it about them, or you will make it about yourself, right? Anyone ever shown up to a party or been in a party where somebody all of a sudden is sitting in the corner by themselves having a little pout fest? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You show up, everybody's having fun, but you look over and there's this there's this one person sitting by themselves, almost, almost waiting for someone to come talk to them. Have you, ever, have you ever gone and talked to that person? Generally, it's what? Generally, it's, it's, it's hey, so yeah, no one, I mean, no one talked to me when I came in. Like, I walked in, and no one said hi. I shouldn't even be here. I mean, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Go have your party, it's okay. You go enjoy the fun, it's fine. I'm just gonna sit here for a minute, you know. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Don't say any names, but y'all know people like that, right? Maybe you are those people, are those people, right? We do that, right? The spotlight needs to be adjusted and turned to them or to you. They're going to, they're going to pull you aside, and it's always going to be your fault, right? Like, at what point do you want to look at someone and say, hey, hold on a second. Can we talk about you for a second? Like, why is this always my fault, do you have that person in your life that's constantly coming to you and it's always your fault? I got them. Listen, I guarantee if you stopped and sat down and talked to that person, not about the problem that they're bringing to you, but about what they're going through in the moment, I bet money that they're, they're struggling with shame. I bet they don't know how to process it, so the only way they can process it is to come to you and blame you. We do this all the time. We do it all the time. People walking in this kind of shame will give themselves over to hating themselves. If you're not there yet and you're just, you're, just on the, you're just on the tip of that iceberg, it's ready to break over. If you're walking in shame, this kind of shame, as it weighs down on you, as you begin adding boxcar after boxcar to your shame train, eventually you will hate yourself. You will begin some self 
self-loathing things. You, you will eat more than you should. You will drink more than you should. You're going to punish yourself because you're not worth anything. At least that's what you're telling yourself. It's a bad soundbite. You are worth something. But that's why you begin to punish yourself. That's why you begin to torment yourself. You will give yourself over to abusive relationships. Right? You will put yourselves in situations where you will be hurt, both physically, spiritually, emotionally. You will give yourself over to that. You will be betrayed because you can't find the dignity, dignity to say no and walk away because you hate yourself so much. We know people like this. We are people like this. We might have been raised by people like this. The shame is unavoidable and it's unbearable. Anybody there this morning? Anybody walking in such deep shame that it's unavoidable and unbearable? Some of you are looking at me this morning like, how dare you? How dare you say that? Right, Chris, how dare you say that? I would, I would never. But you do. And you did. And you have. All those things. We've all done these things. But here's the gospel. Here's the good news. You're not cheap. You're not unworthy. That's not what this says. It's not what the cross says. In fact, you're so expensive that God, God sent his son to die in your place on a cross. You're unbelievably valuable. You can't fathom it. It's unfathomable. It's without fathom. You're uniquely and particularly loved by Jesus. Uniquely loved by Jesus with all your flaws. In love, Jesus has noticed you and graciously called you into a relationship with himself. I bet my paycheck, that's why you're here this morning. Because he wants you to be. Because he's called you into relationship with him. He wants to be with you. The gospel reminds you that you are needy to the core, and that's okay. You are needy to the core. And that's okay. That's what the gospel reminds us. Your, your needs are not a problem to God. Your needs are not a problem to God. He loves you and wants all of you. That good side and the bad. But how many of you struggle to believe that? Go ahead. Come on. I, I'm, I'm like the four of us in here this morning. Come on. We, we struggle to believe this. We, we can't seem to stop the shame train. Like we're looking for the emergency exits, right? All the time. Like I just, I want off. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. So what do we do? Questions. Write it down. You ready? Here's what I want you to walk away with today. And, and question, am I known? Are you known? Like really known? Like, I mean, no. Do you believe that you're fully delighted in? Like, despite your spouse, 
Despite your friends, despite your coworkers, despite whatever you are delighted in. Do you believe that? Are you known and do you believe that you're delighted in? Because you need to be known. Like you need to be known. When we are known, like, like fully known in community, we ask you to be known. Like we're a church, we're a church of missional communities. We do life together outside of this morning, during the week. And we ask that when you enter a community with those, that you're known. You want to show up here and high five and sing to Jesus, amen, we'll welcome you with open arms. But we want you to be known in community because there's victory there. There's victory known in community, right? The more you stay quiet and don't confess and don't expose, the more that it's in secret or not talked about gives fertile ground for shame to take root. So when you're struggling and you keep that inside and you keep that to yourself, no matter what it is, and we're not, we're not vomiting those issues in community and people aren't able to speak the gospel to us, you are creating a, a, a fertile soil for shame to take root in your life and in your heart. And it gets harder and harder and harder to talk about it. Think about that for a moment. Like when you're doing things in secret, do you feel awesome about it? <laughs> right? Maybe in the moment. You've got, you've got this, this, this you know, cheap pleasure in the moment, but, but you don't feel awesome afterwards. There's no one in this room that's doing something in secret that feels awesome about it. But what about being fully known and still delighted in? You catch that? Being fully known and still delighted in. You feel awesome now? Like no matter what you can do, or no matter what you have done, or no matter what you will do, you're still delighted in. Anybody feel awesome now? I hope so. That's the gospel. In Jesus, you can be fully known and still be delighted in. Anybody familiar with the prodigal son story? Luke 15. We're not going to read it, but are you familiar with it, right? You've got the, the prodigal son, the one, that, the one that runs. There's two brothers, one that goes away, takes his, takes his inheritance, right? Just, just blows it all on, on booze and girls and whatever else, right? Just, he just blows it all. And he doesn't want to come back. He's at his lowest of lows, right? And he comes, he comes back, right? He walks up, and his dad is running to him with open arms, welcoming him home. Right, welcoming home. He's probably walking up the field with no shoes, dirty clothes, maybe not no clothes. He's just, he just needs to come home. He's got nothing left, and his father's there welcoming him with open arms. And then what happens in that story is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing immensely, okay? Well, what happens in that story is, the father says, bring me the big, like, bring me the fattened calf. We're going to throw a party. My son's home. Like, no time for showers or breaks. Go to, let's go to the party. You're dirty. I don't care. Let's go to the party. I always like to think, like, like what, what was going on in his mind as he's being celebrated for returning? After everything he's done, go read the story. After everything he's done, and he's being celebrated. Like, I think if that was me, I'd, I'd be like, wait, so, like, you know where I've been, and you, and you know what I've done, yet, yet come to me? That's the gospel. Ladies and gents, 
Like he knows who you are. He knows what you've done, what you will do, yet he's saying, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me. I've made sacrifice in my son for you on your behalf, despite you. Come to me. I delight in you. Come to me. I mean, this guy's been, this, this son in the story has been an idiot. Right? We would all read that story and go, what an idiot. He had all, he had everything he ever wanted at his fingertips and he blew it. We would all read that story the same, but yet he's welcomed with gifts and a party. Right? Gifts and a party. Then there's the other brother. What's he doing? He's not going to the party. Right? He's mad. He's, he's, he's over in the quarter pouting. Right? Now go ahead and have your party. Right? Both in that moment are feeling shame. Right? Both brothers in that moment are feeling the same, but, but how awkward for the one that just showed up. Just This party is for me being delighted in. Right? And what does the other brother get? The father pleads with him, right? Come, come join us. Come in here, please. Your brother's home. Come, come join us. Come party with us, right? The same grace offered to both. But, but are you with me this morning? Is that kind of grace, is that idea of grace a hard pill to swallow? Given your story, is it hard to swallow? Like, given what, you, what you've done, not knowing what you will do in the future, but given only based on what you've done, is grace a hard pill to swallow this morning? It's a hard pill for me to swallow, right? Every time I, every time I, I struggle, I've done something that, that, that changes how people will see me, that understanding that grace is a hard pill for me to swallow. But you crave it, don't you? You crave it. You crave that kind of grace. We all crave it. We all, we all want that kind of grace. Flip over to Hebrews 2 real quick. It won't be on the screen. Flip over to Hebrews 2. Oh, where's mine? I'm missing it. Stay with me. I keep missing it. Oh, jeez. Hold on while your pastor finds Hebrews. My pages, I did a wedding with this Bible, just so we know here. I did a, I did a wedding with this Bible, and my pages, it rained, and my pages get all stuck together. So, anyway, Hebrews 2, here we go. Hebrews 2, verse 11. For he who sanctifies... For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. You read that one more, one more time. One more again here. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That's Jesus. He's not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. The one who sanctifies and the one that is sanctifying is not ashamed to call you brother. He's not ashamed to call us family. 
Anybody in here got a family member they're not proud of? Right, I got a few. Jesus ain't like that. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you family. We are fully known and fully delighted in. And being fully known, he's not ashamed to call you family, but we struggle to believe this. Right? We struggle to believe this. We, we can't even take compliments. We can't even take compliments because we struggle to believe that we're accepted. We don't, we don't, we can't, we don't know how to process that. We don't know how to handle being celebrated. We, we don't understand it. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus fully delights in you. He's not ashamed to call you family. He welcomes you with open arms. So after all we've done, after all we've done, everything we've done, he looks at us and he picks our head up and he says, give me, give me you. I want to celebrate you. I love you. I want you. This feels awkward, right? It feels awkward. It feels, that's that undeserving. Like, I don't deserve this. I feel unloved. I feel unworthy, right? It feels, that grace feels just so awkward. That's why it's scandalous. It's a scandalous grace. So why is, gross, why is grace so, so, like, offensive? Like, why are we so offended by Grace. Why do we struggle to believe it, right? Like, why, why is this so offensive to us? The reason being is because nothing in it glorifies you, right? Like, you can't take credit for the grace that's offered to you, but we try. That's why it's offensive, right? Like, you didn't earn it, so we feel like we can't own it. You know what I mean? Like, like you've been taught your entire life, if you want something, go get it, Right? Old timers in here, right? That, that's how I was raised. My, my grandfather was like, you want something, you go get it. So when grace is offered to us freely, we struggle to understand it because we didn't earn it. So what do we do, Christian? We try, don't we? We try to earn it. We try to earn his favor. And all the while he's pleading, you don't have to do anything. Just come to me. I'm here, arms open, come to me. Like that's unconditional grace, right? Unconditional grace, but our broken nature has been conditioned against unconditionality from birth. You've been conditioned not to believe in unconditional love because you have to earn it. It's crazy, but it's true. You want something, you earn it. So when we look at grace, we, it doesn't add up. It's like you're looking at the problem on the whiteboard and you're like, I don't get it. All of us are more like the prodigal son that we would like to imagine, right? But here's the good news. God is more like that father in that story than we can ever comprehend, right? Like even in the prodigal son story, the father that is welcoming his son home still probably has some issues with it, right? Like, there might have been a conversation after the party. I get it. But it's not that way with God. We can't comprehend that. It's unconditional grace. So love is grace seeking you when you have nothing to give in return. 
It's love. It's like love we don't know because we love tacos. Right? We love our dogs. You know what I mean? We love movies. We, like, we love Captain America. We don't understand love on this level. Love is grace seeking you when you have nothing to offer or give in return. So what I want to land this plane with is a quote. This is by far my favorite quote I've ever read. And I say this thing, I feel like I, I, I recite it like once a month when I preach, but, but I'm gonna read this to you, it's not on the screen. I'm gonna read this to you because for me, this literally creates a vessel of grace around me when I hear it. Like I, I struggle to believe grace, but I read this quote. Like if, if I had a wall big enough in my house, I'd slap it on that wall, right? Hear me. My life is a witness to vulgar grace. A grace that amazes as it offends. A grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till five. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal, reeking of sin, and wraps him up and decides to throw a party. No ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a dying thief's request. Please remember me. And he assures him, you bet. You bet. A grace that is the pleasure of the Father, fleshed out in the carpenter Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who left his Father's side, not for heaven's sake, but for our sake, yours and mine. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap, it's free, and as such will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for, those grown up, for the grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough, he's enough, Jesus is enough. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we love you. And it's only by your grace that we're here today. It's only by your grace that we, God, that we even know that we belong to a greater family. It's only by your grace that we, that we can walk out of here today free from a shame that is plaguing most of us, if not all of us. God, my prayer today is that we would lay our shame down this morning, that we would lay our shame-filled hearts at your feet. When we take communion this morning, God, I pray that we would, we would spend time God, remembering the grace that was offered, remembering the sacrifice of your son, God, remembering that vulgar, scandalous grace that you, you endured, God, on our behalf, the pain that you endured on our behalf, God, that we would remember that. And we can walk out of here, God, not with shame-filled hearts, but grace-filled hearts, by your power and your mercy, God, it's only by those things that we, that we even know, that we even know, God, how to live and how to walk by faith. And so, God, I plead this morning as we are a people gathered here to worship you. God, that it's not about this building. It's not about the lights. It's not about the screen. God, it's about our relationship with you. Us gathering as corporate believers and worshiping together, celebrating your son, Jesus praising the Father and being filled with the Holy Spirit, God, this morning. 
I pray we are convicted, God, this morning, that you bring conviction upon us, God, that we would repent where we have failed, we would, we would reconcile relationships that we've broken, God, and that we would, we, would, we would mend our hearts, you would mend our hearts this morning as we turn to you, God, our rescuer and our redeemer. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.